I'm Bobby Navia. And I am Dorian Weinzimmer. Welcome back to The Couch, everybody. Episode 64. Yeah. 64. The road to 100. Road to 100 continues. Yep. Continues just trekking forward. Trekking along. You might say each episode we record is one step closer to it 100. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know if the science backs that I up, but know. that's, you know, this. Yeah. It's a level of truthiness to that. It there feels is. right. Yes. It feels right. I yeah. can see that. I can see that. Although we do, uh, to be fair, though, we do these like not properly numbered episodes sometimes. Too, we don't. So. It's like I said, it's 64. So and sometimes, I think we might we be like, sometimes we stay in the same place. Yeah. I think the only two I didn't number were when you were gone. When I, yeah. Well, and then when I came back, when you came we didn't back. do oh, a yeah. proper so there's 60. Three, yeah. So technically we would be like 60. Seven right now, something like that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. 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 I don't know if sixty-four plus three equals sixty-seven, but someone can check that for. Yeah, you know, whatever. <laughs> um. So I'm this re- week's trailer is uh, that we're going to review is the Goldfinch. The Goldfinch. Uh, but before we do the Goldfinch, yeah, there's a couple of movies that come out next week. There's uh the Goldfinch comes out. Obviously, mm-hmm. we're going to talk about it. Uh, Hustlers the strippers who steal wall street money cardi b's life story movie yes, pretty yeah. much and then uh, also there's a movie that comes out next week called monos yeah which uh dorian and i saw in may right may mm-hmm. may uh for at the uh, chicago critics uh, film festival and uh if you honestly just want something different like go see this movie yeah it's really fucking good yeah it's exceptional yeah it's it's yeah it's really the less you know about it the better too yeah um i you know i I kind of went in not really knowing much aside from like a two sentence kind of setup for it. I just, I just read the music box. Yeah. 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 It's, it just sounded kind of interesting and, um, you know, and the, the sort of like, you know, uh, press buzz that they had accompanying mm-hmm. it made it sound like something oh, yeah. that would be really, you know, kind of like visually ravishing mm-hmm. and, and really cool. And I, what I didn't realize when the movie started was that, uh, you know the the music is incredible in the film. It's very very evocative and very powerful. And like you know, all I could think about while watching it was like, man, whoever composed this movie really really likes Michael Levy. Yeah, because uh, it was just giving me a lot of like similar vibes to Under the Skin, which is one of my all time favorite film scores. Period. It's a great movie, great score. Ever. Yeah, incredible film, and that score is just. I mean, that's like. That's like top 10 film scores of all time for me. Somewhere in, I don't know where exactly it sits in there, but it's in the top 10, maybe even top five. And uh, and yeah, it kept getting like those kind of vibes from it. Then the movie ended and I see the credits and it says music by Michael Levy. I was like, <laughs> what the fuck? Okay. Because yeah, it was, you know, I, I wasn't familiar with the filmmakers that had made this movie. I think the guy who did it too, I think it was his first feature. Um, uh, he had done some other work before, I think, producing and some shorts and things like that. So right. he had some, you know, some pedigree uh, behind him. But uh, but this was just like a really, really incredible feature debut, you know, as far as just like the sort of conviction behind the vision for the film, you know, being that confident and that sort of like uh, uh uh, a bit a bit more just like subtle in the approach mm-hmm. as well because you know a lot of times for first filmmakers you want to like make a bang be very right. bombastic and right, things right, like that right. and this feels like you know this feels like it could have been this guy's like fifth movie or yeah. sixth movie like he's got a bit under his belt and he's a little more like restrained mm-hmm. you know now and knows where to use things for proper effect instead of just overloading every scene with him but um yeah no it's it's a really 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 fucking cool movie and yeah, the way that the premise unfolds 
yes. is great if you don't know where it's headed. Because mm-hmm. um, I know I talked to some other people who um, weren't as excited about it as Bobby and I. They still liked it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, but oh, they, yeah, that's right. But yeah. They, yeah, they had known a, a bit more about the film and sort of like where going it was in. going. Okay. Yeah. So they were kind of just, you know, like, I think waiting for that to happen. Yeah, yeah. Uh, as opposed to being drawn in on this more sort of like surrealist, almost like Kafka-esque mm-hmm. uh, premise that it has just as a, you know, as, as the initial opening notes of the film. You right. Know, like where we start is just like a very, okay, there's these kids out in the middle of this like crazy rainforest yeah, that looks a... really magical. And they're just told to like watch this cow and make yeah. sure it doesn't die. Right. And that's it. <laughs> <laughs> I think what drew me into in the description that uh, Music Box gave was uh, all of their the names of the characters were or are um, I'm gonna read them Rambo Lobo Lady Sweka uh, Smurf Dog and Boom Boom oh uh, and uh, Bigfoot oh and it's just some and it's some like organization some group just known as the organization yeah. is the one telling them to make sure this cow doesn't die yeah right and that's kind of all there was in, in the description yeah and so yeah where we go from there in the movie was pretty um i guess uh surprising but also like just naturally yeah sort of you picked Su- it up surprising you know? in a different way than yeah. you would expect you know from where it starts off but like it it pays off so fucking well it does yeah yeah it's uh it's it's pretty incredible it's yeah. a it's a really interesting kind of like taking a different perspective on i think some subjects that are a bit well tread mm-hmm. and uh this really kind of brought us in from a different very different angle yeah. that you know allowed me at least to identify with some of the mentalities and, and, you know, actions that took place in, in a very different way than in a lot of other movies where I've seen similar types of themes right. and narratives portrayed. So, yeah, really, really highly recommend it. It's a very, and, it, you know, regardless, I think even if you know, it's just like, it's a very just powerful, evocative piece, just even in it's like... very it's, immersive. Yeah, it's like visual language and the way that like the music is used to just sort of like enhance, mm-hmm. you know, the the feeling of what's around you i think it speaks to your comment about the director's name is alejandro landes mm-hmm. and he's from brazil yeah but i think it speaks to your earlier point when you're talking about like it feels like someone's fifth film mm-hmm. because like he's not just using like you know imagery and dialogue to tell the story like the music feels like a very integral part yeah. like shots feel like a very integral part even like i don't think it had any opening credits but even like the end credits like the font and how they come up on the screen mm-hmm. at the end is as just as like in your face and evocative, like as the music yeah. in certain <laughs> spots, you know? So it's like from beginning to end, it is a complete, you know, uh, very good, like sensory overload because mm-hmm. like you're just, you're feeling all these different things as you're watching the movie. Uh, in addition to, you know, plot points yeah. that, you know, uh, reveal themselves throughout the movie. Yeah. Yeah. And the way that, yeah, just the visuals are interspersed where it's like there's these constant feelings where you're just, yeah, it does feel like, like I always felt like Alan Moore, the comic book writer, uh-huh. is was like a master at this okay. with like, you know, plotting out like where things were going to happen on pages so that it was like, there in so many of his comics you end up with these things where like, you know, the last panel on the, the right side of the page. Okay. So it's like right before you're about to turn the page, there's like somebody like looking up in the sky and saying like, oh my God. Oh, yeah, what yeah. is that? <laughs> okay, and then you yeah. turn the page and it's a giant two page spread. And yeah. You just feel like you're just like punched gotcha. in the face with this like image. And it's right. like so 
it's so cool. It's like, you know, that's like they, they're forcing you to become like an editor in a way. Yeah. You yeah, know, yeah. by by enforcing that page turn on you uh-huh. where it is like, you know, it's not just progressing in these panels like it has been. It's like all of a sudden now we're cutting to this big wide shot when we've been in like close ups, yeah. you know, or whatever. And it makes it feel like, you know, that that has that visual impact of like a movie kind of doing the same thing. And like Monos does that so well mm. throughout its entire runtime with not just like the images that it does use, but like the way that they're placed and sort of like the visual poetry behind them in context of, you know, what's happening within the story and with the characters and all that type of stuff. Um, and then the music on top of it all is just like the perfect, like, you know, grace note to add to it all. Yes. It's like, you know, the, I, I legitimately too, with like how epic and just like extraordinary the music is, mm-hmm it feels like it's all coming from the image, you know? Yeah. It doesn't, oh, that's a good point, yes. It doesn't, it doesn't feel, it feels like, you know, this movie was cut and, like, Michael Levy saw it and was like, that's what that sounds like. Yeah. <laughs> you yeah. know, and just yeah, yeah. goes for it. And, you know, that was really cool. It that's doesn't right, feel, it, does. it, it doesn't feel like the music is this superficial element that's just there to yeah. give this emotional rise. It doesn't feel like an orchestra. Yeah. Oh, no. Which you would like normally think like of a score. There's, you know, strings and this and that. I'm sure there's elements to that in the actual recording of it. But yeah, no, no, go ahead. Go ahead. Yeah. Yeah. But yeah, no. So it it just feels, you know, it doesn't feel like this superficial element that's there to give you this emotional rise. It's Mm -hmm. like that emotion is already there. This is just for how big the music is. (laughs) It's still actually underscoring. It, oh yeah, you know is. what is there? Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's it, yeah. it's just really great. It's it's really magnificent. You know when you have images of that scope and you know sort of uh, efficacy mm-hmm. that you know having that kind of music is like so appropriate. Yeah. It actually works really well. A lot of other movies I would accuse music of this of like overscoring the film because mm-hmm. um, the music is so emotionally you know uh, dimensional and evocative that it's like sometimes that's a cheat for filmmakers is like, Oh, we didn't get this emotion in the way that we told the story or the performances (laughs) we got. So let's put a really, really emotional piece of music there. Right. And that'll make it happen, you know, (laughs) but this is like, no man, this is, you know, that's what makes it great filmmaking. It's like, this was all there already. This music is just adding to it. You just, you know, you just chipped away. Yeah. You know, as, uh, as, uh, Richard Crenna said in Rambo. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Old Dick Crenna. Old Dick Crenna. Yep. Just chipped away the parts, and underneath was a fighting machine. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> that sounds uh, like a that sounds like a rough disease, actually. Dick little, Crenna. Dick Crenna. It yeah, does sound got like a little it. got a little Dick Crenna. Yeah. It does. <laughs> uh, well, speaking of emotion. 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 <laughs> <laughs> speaking of using music to imbue emotion. <laughs> Let's talk about the Goldfinch. The trailer to the Goldfinch. Yeah, trailers. Uh, There's a couple. Yeah, we got to talk about we both. Talk of about them. both. Yeah, yeah. They make a uh, they make a pairing, if you will. They do. That if you watch both of them, you'll almost know what the movie's about. <laughs> yes. <laughs> yes. Okay, the Goldfinch. So anyway, Goldfinch. Trailer one. Yeah. Trailer one, straight up art house film. Yes. Like, just trying so hard to be that. I like trailer one. It's just like music and shots. It is. You know, it's like, oh, there was a there was an explosion, and Ansel Elgort still can't act, <laughs> and now shots with, you know, People. art house framing. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> 
and swelling music, you know, while we explore the eccentricities of life and even find time to include a shot of somebody feeding a dog a Frito or something like that. Yeah. That's even in the first trailer because this movie's not about plot story, you guys. It's about the universalities of life. What I find interesting is that when I first watched the trailer, the first one, mm-hmm. uh, when it came out a yeah. couple weeks ago, my interest was 100% peaked. Okay. I, I was really drawn in. I'm not opposed to a trailer. That's just images and music. Yeah. You know, uh, it's it's good. It's fine. It's, 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 it's a trope, but sometimes, you know, the trope works. Yeah. Um, and there's a sense of mystery to the first trailer that I really liked. Mm-hmm. Uh, I even felt like a sense of like darkness to it. So that's what made me interested to be like, oh, okay, I might go check out this movie. Yeah. Now the second trailer drops, and I feel like I feel like somebody somewhere was like, you know, that first trailer didn't really pop like we wanted didn't it really to. Really hit with our key demographics. Yeah. So yeah. like, what do you think about just giving it away? Yeah. Right. <laughs> you know? Yeah. The trailer two is the quintessential like everything but the last five minutes of the movie trailer. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. They just you, you know. know the the second trailer just feels like a bunch of firewood thrown. Yeah. Onto the fire and let's see what burns quicker. Right. You know? Yeah. It's So it's it's interesting because, you know, in the first... Tra- so obviously the, the plot of this movie revolves around, yes, there's this, you know... Painting. Kid goes to museum with his mom. She shows him this painting that she loves and he becomes enamored with it. Mm-hmm. And then there's an explosion, uh, like a bombing at the museum or something like that. And his mom gets killed. Mm-hmm. And apparently in the aftermath, he somehow manages to steal this painting. Right. Is what it, uh, I'm gathering. Yeah. And then he's had, everybody thinks this painting, it's like a famous painting, is like gone forever. Mm-hmm. But he has it. And he told Jeffrey Wright about it, I guess. <laughs> I mean. Jeffrey Wright seems to know about it. Yeah. Um, but anyway, so the first trailer, though, you, there is not really like even an inkling that he takes, the, that he took this painting. No. It was really interesting, like, watching it again. After watching both trailers last night and then watching them both again now, like, rewatching that first one, because yeah. obviously when I saw it the first time, <laughs> that was kind of a shock for me when I watched trailer two. I was like, wait, he stole the painting? <laughs> yeah, right. What? There yeah. was, like, I had no idea. And then when you watch trailer one again, you see him, like, clutching this thing wrapped in newspapers oh, yes, a couple yes, of yes, times. Yes. And you're like, oh, okay, that's the painting. Yeah. But we don't know that. But we don't know that. The first yeah. trailer really sticks with the, like... He lost his mom, and then now we're seeing him in the future and in the past for some reason? Yeah. Because life. Right. You That's know? all I thought it was. Like, just yeah, it's grief like, over my mom not being there, and I've, I've held on for it for so long. Yeah. But then that end shot with Jeffrey Rush, Jeffrey Rush, Jeffrey Wright. Right, yeah. Uh, at the end of the trailer, you know, asking him if it's true. Right. Like, that part got me. I was like, fuck, what don't we know about mm-hmm. it? Like, what don't we know about all this? And I feel like trailer two just ruined lays everything. it out for you yeah, yeah. Just ruined it <laughs> it's like the first 20 seconds of the trailer just like so lay out for us what happened during the bombing <laughs> and, you know meeting. yeah <laughs> it's the uh you know it's like the interrogation scene just yeah like you know, yeah it was like one step shy of doing the dossier scene you know it is who is this guy yeah um yeah, it's like it feels like in the second trailer, just like the entire world knows that he has this painting. Yeah, kind of. And I kind of feel like And they've just decided like he should be the arbiter of it and like, you know, just take care of it. Yeah. But then they keep alluding to like it's been lost somehow. And it's like, but yeah, I don't know. Maybe that's maybe that's how they're trying to build mystery in trailer two, because they give everything else about the movie away. Yeah, they really do. Yeah. Yeah. But 
Yeah, no, the so the first trailer ends up feeling more like this kind of like like Dan Fogelman movie or something. Did like you like that. the first trailer? Uh it's it's interesting. I like the first trailer better than the second one. Okay. For okay. sure. All right. Um it's still it does look a little bit uh well, I, you know, it does look a little bit like Ansel Elgorty for me. <laughs> Cuz he's in the movie. I don't like him. <laughs> I, I was waiting for it. I was waiting dude, for he it. was I mean, baby like whatever the opposite of charisma is, <laughs> that's what he's got. Okay. Like in spades. Right. I don't know why people think he's like this charming uh, you know, I'll I'll take uh he's the guy from like Kingsman and Rocket Man. Oh, Taron Edgerton? Ta- I'll take a Taron Edgerton over <laughs> a fucking Ansel Elgort any day of the week. Yeah. Like right. and, and I don't I've never even seen Taron Edgerton act. Yeah. I've seen him in trailers. You never watched the full movie? No. Okay. I don't think so. All right. I did Kingsman. I was interested in, then somebody told me it was all digital blood, and I was like, "Fuck that!" Oh yeah, not that's watching right, that's this right. movie. Okay, I don't yeah, care. Yeah. yeah. So I gave up on that without even watching it, and then I haven't. Se- I just haven't seen Rocket Man. I'm interested. I haven't seen it either. I heard yeah. it's great. I do. Uh, yeah, see heard it. good things about it, yeah. but I think it's up to rent now. It is up shit. to rent. Yeah. yeah. So I'll check that out, and I've heard he's very good in it. Um, but man, I I hated Baby Driver, and I hated Ansel Elgort in it. What else has Ansel Elgort been in? I don't know. Was Baby Driver like his like I think the, so. the big thing? That was like the first thing I'd ever even heard of him. I think so, yeah. Yeah. And, uh, and he's just like, God, he's like so flat in this already. Like even just in the trailer, he has this voiceover. Like in that first trailer, mm-hmm. even when I wa- watched the first trailer last night, I didn't realize it was him in this movie. Okay. And there was like that um, right after they show the like explosion kind of happening at the beginning. And then uh-huh. he's like, he has this voiceover that's something like, I don't know, I never found that like marker that would lead me to like the next significant yeah point in my life or something like that and i was like even just watching it then i was like man that line delivery is awful like who <laughs> is this fucking act that was so flat and just like it felt like a chore for them to say these words you know and and, and then all of a sudden on screen here comes ansel elgort and i was like oh that explains everything emotionless allegory yeah i i just can't can't stand that guy and i don't know if like people think he's attractive or what they use the same shot of him smiling at that girl in both trailers so i'm guessing they think that's like a really nice shot or something or like it's gonna charm the pants off of people but my pants are are on and if anything it 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 put a chastity belt on me (laughs) that's what that smile did um i feel like uh yeah i like the first trailer uh, Ansel Elgort really doesn't bug me yeah. too much. You know, it's fine. Uh, I'm always very the first thought. The, any sort of like criticism I had about the first trailer is like movies like this. You know, that come out around like you know, obviously it's a poised to be maybe like an Oscar hopeful or of some kind, or you know, be just you know best drama yeah. or something. Uh, they're just so packed with supporting, like a uh, supporting cast, like mm-hmm. Nicole Kidman and Sarah Paulson and Jeffrey Wright and you know Luke Wilson. Oh uh, yeah, is that's in right. It. Yeah, like Finn Wolfhard from Stranger Things is in it. You know, and like there's just it's so packed that the main character in these kinds of movies is just always so dull. Mm-hmm. It's like the one you want to feel for is just like giving the audience nothing. Yeah, and it's just like. Why I, do I care? Like, right. Everyone's a cliche that's, in this in this trailer. Right. Which bugs me. That's exactly. Everyone's just a, a big cliche of, you know, uh, something traumatic happened in my life. And these are the people that yeah. I've met throughout my life. 
that, you know, want me to go here and there. And also I feel like the first trailer is it's very dial a dire and very sort of like uh mysterious. Mm. But I feel like the second trailer <laughs> shows me more darker stuff and like the music and the tone of it is like so uplifting. Mm. And I'm like it's like two competing emotions that I'm having right. in them because like I think at one part in the second trailer, like the music swells at a part where like clearly he's thinking about committing suicide with the mm-hmm. pills. And I'm like, why is this a happy moment right now? Yeah. Like this is pretty dark guys. Yeah. I saw this scene in cold war. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. They did it right. Yep. <laughs> yeah. I mean, they, you know, that's what holds me back on both of them is what you're just saying about all the characters, you know, feeling so kind of cliche. Mm-hmm. Um, is, you know, this does also, it just screams like indie drama, you know, like in your face. And that's, you know, that's what I, part of what's interesting about the first trailer, but also one of the things that completely, you know, makes it unattractive to me. Okay. Um, is the fact that it has such that vibe. It's just, it feels like this movie where we see this kid who, you know, had this traumatic thing happen and steal this piece of art basically like you know go through a succession of sage like characters you know in his journey to adulthood where he can finally like confront and deal with you know the trauma of that whole incident mm-hmm. and yeah i don't know the complexities of it and it just you know it feels like this basically long-winded way of getting at like a really simple life lesson Okay. And I'm just worried that, like, all, that's all it's going to really amount to mm-hmm. is, you know, be one of those things where it's like, wow, all these, like, major coincidences and crazy things that, mm. you know, brought us to this seemingly completely unique situation resulted in something so universal, you know, that, like, everyone can relate to it. And I'm sure that's part of the appeal to it. Of course, that's the whole mantra is, you know, the more specific you get, the more universal you become. Right. Is, you know, something they say in film and writing uh, in particular a lot. It's all art. But... It's, uh, you know, this seems like it's just going to be that taken to, like, an extreme example with a lot of, like, really, yeah, emotional swells in the music <laughs> and, like, you know, pointed looks of people saying things to each other about emotional platitudes that everybody can relate to. Yeah. And, you know, I'm just worried it's going to be, like, a series of those scenes. Um, you it's know. like, this movie's, like, crash to me. Yeah. Sure. Yeah, exactly. I mean... <laughs> 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 I'll admit when I first saw Crash I, I dug it mm. you know what I mean but like it is you know I'm trying to think of another movie but that's a pretty just good example of like you know a series of events you know in the either a day in the life or like a couple you know <laughs> a decade in the life of this one guy and yeah like, you know it seems like they're all so different but aren't they really all the same we're all the same yeah we're all the same you know yeah and there's also a bit of this like uh, you know part of the the premise for this story too is such like i like i don't know if you know there's a british vibe to all of this okay um what's the british what is like what do you i just i just feel like a britishness from this in terms is it of like, just the like production value the style the okay. story itself yeah just of like the the story itself and like the setup for it and everything is like well i mean this is a really you know fortuitous <laughs> launch pad for an emotional journey <laughs> let's let's face that fact as yeah. well you know that that there is there is a lot of um, luck going into your ability to have this emotional journey and not be dealing with just like, oh fuck, I'm like an orphan now who has to deal with like the foster care system, you know, or whatever. Right. You know, and I have this painting. Right. That can yeah. pretty much set me for life, maybe depending on how much it costs or yeah. whatever. 
Yeah, in most other situations, you would have yeah ended up in like an orphanage or foster care or something, and within five hours, some older kid would have like beaten the shit out of you, taken that painting, and pissed all over it in front of your face while you lie bleeding on the floor. So is that like the UK version or like the British vibe you get? Is that it's not uh, is not um, realistic? It's just well, it's, in terms it's of that, its, in terms of its like plot setup, it's that type of like you know what what is considered like a uh, a struggle. Okay. Or what is considered like, you know, a, a tough situation. Gotcha. That's a very British kind of tough situation, you know, <laughs> where it's like, I, ha- I, yes, my mom died, but I'm living with this super rich family who's completely supportive and will take care of anything that I need. In the <laughs> and world, my life still know? sucks. Yeah, right. <laughs> okay. All right. Um, you know, so that that's what feels British okay. about it to gotcha. me, you know. <laughs> I can see that. It's, it's maybe not, and I don't know, maybe it's not trying to be as like, hard scrabble is all that mm-hmm. um but yeah it, it seems in a way just like a very convenient setup for this kid to not have to worry about like the actualities of life and like yeah. the deeper problems that would come from losing your family mm-hmm. you know by just like immediately having the super well-off like surrogate family that just takes him in right and it's like you can live under this umbrella and deal with your problems under that umbrella yeah you know? yeah so you know that just feels british to me right like oh man that kid's got it rough <laughs> I feel like this movie, it's movies also based off a book. Yes. Yeah. Right. Didn't want to talk about the adaptation uh, element. The a adaptation bit. Of Haven't read the book though. So I've never know. read the book either. Yeah. Um, but there are some times where I feel never like I've even heard the book to be honest. Yeah. I feel like I have, but probably, you know, not at the same time. You know what I mean? Yeah. Um, I was going to say, Goldfinch also seems like a very British subject for a painting. It does. A Goldfinch. A Goldfinch. Yeah. Either that or it's, you know, one of the rumored titles to Bond 25. Ooh. Which it's not, but. It's not. This isn't the new Bond movie? It's not. It would be cool if it was, though. That'd be. That'd be a cool bad. Damn, that'd be be amazing. (laughs) Or if this movie turned out to be Bond, but that, oh, man, but then that would mean that Ansel Elgort's fucking Bond. Gross. I'd be yeah. okay with that. I would not. I'd be fine. With I that. would have massive problems with it. I don't even care about James Bond, and I would have big problems with that. You wouldn't like James Bond Jr. starting Ansel Elgort? <laughs> Literally cast anyone else. <laughs> you could cast the fucking bagpipe playing gate officer from Critters <laughs> Attack, and it would have been a better option. Oh, so good, so good. Yeah. Uh, the author of the book is uh, Donna Tart. Donna Tart. Donna Tart. I don't know what else she's done, mm. um, but. I feel like um, sometimes movies like these, I feel like are a little bit uh, a slave to the subject matter Mm -hmm. and they don't. Of course, I say this not having read the book. Right. But, you know, um, I guess I wanted to see, like, if you know uh, how you feel about, like, book adaptions. Mm -hmm. You got any favorites if you don't. Yeah. That kind of thing. Um, And I guess we could, you know. I guess we cross the line into like comic book or sure. you know that kind of thing, but yeah. Well, I mean that's yeah. That's, I mean they're they're different, but there's some similarities, of course, in terms of just like adapting anything yeah. from one medium to another. It's like you know it takes a certain sensibility to be aware of like what will actually translate from one medium to another. Yeah, because like books in particular, you know, are very heavy on like internal dialogue. 
um, I know I talked to you about this recently, but I actually have an example of one of the worst ever, I think, adaptations of a book. <laughs> okay. Um, oh, wait, yeah. Piercing. Uh, piercing. Yeah, yes. it was horribly, it was like every stupid mistake you could make. Well, hang on. Who was the book written by? Piercing? Uh, the book was written by Ryu Murakami. Right. Not Haruki Murakami, okay. who is the Murakami that everybody fucking knows. Okay. Is a Japanese author, but very, very different writers. Yeah. Both very Japanese. Um, and I love them for it. Uh, but Ryu is a little bit more on the perverse side of things. Okay. The darker side of things. Uh, like, kind of underbelly of Japan. Yeah. And uh, I really, really love his stuff quite a bit. And this is actually the perfect guy to bring up because he wrote the book Piercing, which then Nicholas Pesh, who did The Eyes of My Mother mm-hmm. and is doing the upcoming Grudge remake because we needed that. Oh, yeah, that's right. Um, yeah. He directed an adaptation of Piercing, mm-hmm. and it's god-awful, and okay. I'll get into why. All right. uh, but Ryu Murakami also wrote a little book called Audition, oh, yes. which was adapted very, very successfully <laughs> into a movie called Audition by Takashi Miike. Yeah. <laughs> and that movie is fucking incredible and like the perfect way to adapt a novel, especially that novel, right. into a movie. It was awesome. Um, but anyway, so, the, you know, and it's funny because the, the issue that, uh, that Piercing had, the movie adaptation, was actually a little bit of, uh, it was exactly what I'm talking about. It was like that movie is so internal. Mm-hmm. I mean, like very deeply wait the book the book book, yeah sorry sorry yeah the book the book is all internal Internal, it's like i mean long passages of just like you know remembering certain memories like traumas uh, long passages of just like because like the whole premise of piercing is that like this guy he's like this japanese just like salary man is um he he has a baby and like he finds himself like in the middle of the night he he stands there with an ice pick just staring at his baby and he wants to stab his baby with this ice pick really really badly but he knows he shouldn't yeah so he doesn't right but every night he can't sleep and he has to just go over there and just stand like over his newborn baby with this ice pick mm-hmm. and so he was like i need to stab someone or else so i don't gonna, stab my yeah, baby yeah right so I'm going to find a prostitute and I'm going to stab a <laughs> prostitute with this ice pick. And like that is literally the, so obviously this is all about this character's internal psychology. But uh, but so, yeah. So what they did for the movie was they basically like followed the exact plot of the book, which mm-hmm. is not again, like not a whole lot. Yeah. That's really like happens. It's um, not overly complicated. No, it's okay. not at all. It's it's pretty much like it starts with that, and then we go to this meeting with this prostitute, and then it's like what happens that night. Okay, gotcha. That's the whole thing. Yeah, and um, it's he so he t- he basically yeah like slavishly followed every event and little bit of dialogue from the book, mm-hmm. uh, but had nothing to simulate the internal monologue of the book. Like you know the the movie it's or the book it's uh, has such a Japanese psychology to it. Yeah, yeah. It feels. I mean, even just that premise feels like a very kind of like yeah. Japanese ordeal. Mm-hmm. You know, <laughs> um, and it, he just cat he just turned it into like two white people in New York. Okay, and just exact same series of events. And again, even the way that they talk to each other, which like Ryu Murakami is like really good at like putting his finger on the pulse of like. Japanese society and like how people would communicate with each other and that okay. like you know that weird sort of like formality mm-hmm. that's part of Japanese culture and he just like put those words into these like white people's mouths and it mm. just like doesn't work okay 
because it's like it feels like they're they're talking like Japanese people, but they're trying to play it like they're these just like couple sort of like regular New Yorkers, like socialites I mean, in at all or no, just no. I mean, you know, the one girl's a prostitute, and, right? Okay, yeah. uh, and and then he's just like a dude who's just like a businessman. All right. Um, but it just, you know, that culture just doesn't translate like that. It's like everything that, you know, should have had some thought or care put into how we were going to shift this, um, this character and this story and everything about, you know, the, this world from this one medium and this one culture into a different medium in a different culture. Mm -hmm. None of those considerations were made. No thought was placed into any of that. It was just like, oh, well, I can't shoot this in Japan, so I'll shoot it in America and I'll just do exactly what the book did, but cut out everything that actually made it interesting. Yeah. And then Audition, on the other hand, does everything fucking right. <laughs> <laughs> it's such a perfect adaptation of that book. Like, yeah. I mean, I, I had seen the movie uh, a long time ago and like a, like a handful of times, and it's excellent on its own. Um, and then I only read the book recently, okay. and then Arrow did a release of Audition. Yeah which I picked up and right. I was like, oh, this is perfect time to like mm-hmm. kind of check these out as a parent, yeah. you know, like book versus movie. And I was blown away. Nice. Like it, it made the movie even better to me because like it's already a great movie. And then watching like how he was able to navigate certain things that the book did and mm-hmm. the way he translated them into film is just downright genius. Yeah. Because the, the whole premise for it, uh, for our listeners, mm-hmm. is that this guy uh, who's a successful like um, television producer in Japan, mm-hmm. um, his uh, his wife dies, like you know, tragically. He okay. has he had like a good family. He's got a son, yeah, and his wife passes away, and um, you know he's very upset about it, and like kind of doesn't get over it for a few years, you know. So he's not like dating or anything like that, and he decides finally that like he wants to start like trying to date again, and one of his television producer friends comes up with a, a scheme. Mm-hmm. It was like, why don't we put together basically a, you know, an audition for a movie, you know? Cause he was very, the guy also is like very specific about like what he's looking for. And okay. so they were like, well, why don't we put together, you know, a script for like a film and we will, you know, broadcast that we're holding an audition and the character that we're looking for is like the exact type of woman that you're gotcha. trying to find. Okay. Yeah, yeah. And so we'll basically like cast your girlfriend, yeah. you know, and, and hold this audition and, you know, all this type of stuff. And so, and you know, and they were like, we have, you know, the funding falls through all the time for this type of stuff. So right. he's like, as of right now, he's like in, inside of even our company, like only you and I know what's really happening here. Okay. Like our company even thinks this is a legit thing. Legit, okay. And like, you know, he's like, we'll get a script written. That's like a good script. So they really think like, this is something we're going to produce and all <laughs> this shit. And I mean, the, the, the movie was famously, it was marketed as like a romantic comedy. Oh, okay. When it came out in Japan, because like the first like hour, hour ten, mm-hmm. it's pretty much what it is. All right, and then it's like <laughs> trip to hell. <laughs> like right, so audiences were like, but you know, it, it made a big splash on the international like film festival scene. But then yeah. when it actually like got released in in Japan and stuff, people were like freaking out because they were just like, I've never, I've never like felt this betrayed by a movie <laughs> before. And it's sort of like, but that's perfect for like the character that we're dealing with, you know, as well. That's it's kind of what ends up happening to him. Yeah. And so it should make sense that it feels like this puppy dog love thing right up until it isn't, you right, know, right, right. and that he's in the dark about all this. So the audience should be in the dark, too. And then yeah. it's like the way that he does present those things and bring them to light for you as an audience member. is just like 
it's so unforgiving, but it's like so unexpected. And, mm-hmm. and then when it happens, it just feels like we've you you know we've been in this hell the whole time. Right, right. So anyway, so that's my one against the other. I just like read and then watched the movie versions of both of these like a few months ago. So yeah. those two are very fresh on Pretty my mind fresh, as yeah. far as like book adaptations. Mm-hmm. And especially because, yeah, they were the same author and one was so perfect and the other one was so awful. Just I was trying to I was uh Look, trying to look up Lord of the Flies right now, because mm-hmm. oh, yeah. I think in like the last couple, the last couple uh, months, I there was an article that came out or something that said that they were going to be doing like a I forget what director, but it was like oh so and so attached to like Lord of the Flies like you know remake or something like that, and you know and like in the back of my head, uh, I I immediately thought about Monos because okay. like it does have a very Lord of the Flies like vibe to it, you know as well. And um, I guess I just wish that some, you know, more book adaptions sort of like took an idea or a nugget that is like inherently the movie and then like made it its own, mm-hmm. you know, ma- made it its own in, in a way. Uh, like if you're going to, you know, like if you're going to read Piercing and then do an American version of it, then like really do an American version of it and maybe just strip away the Japanese of it all. Do you mm-hmm. know what I mean? Like, don't right. do the yeah. Japanese version. Exactly. With, like you were saying, like, with two white people. Or it doesn't even be two white, like, two black people. Two, or two non-Japanese Mexican. people. Yeah, right, yeah. exactly. Even much. if you made them Chinese or Korean, it wouldn't have, it would have had the same issue. Yes, you know? exactly. Because, again, there's such a massive cultural difference. Yeah. Right, right. So I guess I kind of wish that, like, more, more of those, like, sort of adaptions, you know, that don't succeed, like how you said, really just took them in a way, you know, mm-hmm went left field with them yeah and we're just like we're just gonna take the nugget of this premise but we're gonna filter it through you mm-hmm. know our our culture whatever that culture may be that you know you you are casting right or, yeah exactly know. instead of yeah instead of you know being so completely uh dedicated to following every single word written in the book to yeah. just like instead of taking what was written and making a movie out of it take what was being said Yes. And make a movie out of that. There you go. You know? <laughs> yes. Like, yes, yes. there's something being said in Piercing right. that could translate to another culture. Mm-hmm. I think the way that it's said in that book in particular is so minutely specific to not only Japanese culture, but a type of psychology, a very unique psychology that could only derive from the starting point of that culture as an umbrella. Right, exactly. You know, like, that's how specific that book is. Yeah, yeah. It's like, that character is not representing anything outside of just him. Mm-hmm. You know? <laughs> like, <laughs> it's... Uh, and then same with the female character in it, too, the, yeah. the prostitute. They're both, like, very, very specifically drawn characters. Right. From, yeah, a larger cultural, you know, yeah, uh, uh, milieu. Mm-hmm. But anyway, so, I, so I'm hoping the Goldfinch is a little more audition than and and less piercing less in terms of I like that there yeah. in terms of the adaptive element yeah um but how about you do you have i just talked for like 30 minutes about that do you, <laughs> how do you feel about or what's what's your favorite or do you have any like have you uh like movies that you've like read the book as I, well and like like i um I've read more like graphic novels and comic books. Sure. So I feel like that's a little easier to not easier to adapt, but it's easier to be like, oh, yeah, this Batman comic Mm -hmm. did this or whatever. Um, But I would say like uh, crazy enough, like I did read, you know, Ready Player One. Mm. Right. I uh, I loved the book and only because like when I was younger, I never read like I hated to read. 
Mm. I hated reading books. Um, but uh, when I read Ready Player One, it was like a, it was like a book that sort of you know spoke to me with its pop culture uh-huh. references. Sure. And so like I dug the world that it built and all the references and everything like that. Um, well, I didn't like hate the movie as much as like you guys did when we saw it. Like I was left a little disappointed, mm-hmm. you know, by it. I thought the one moment in the movie that was like a spark of the feeling I got when I read the book was um, the first the first uh, clue he has to figure out. And when he figures out that he has to drive backwards mm-hmm. and he drives backwards, like that moment in the movie felt so adventurous to me. Like it felt like a genuine discovery. But the rest of the movie didn't have those discovery moments. Mm-hmm. It just sort of felt like the movie was handing us right. the clues, handing us the answers very easily so that our characters could get to the big fight where we saw all of the characters from our childhood mm-hmm. in one giant you know, splash page. Yeah. And the book had more of those discovery moments of clues and figuring things out and being a little bit more, you know, uh, geeky that I liked. You know, like how, how you talked about with like audition and piercing with being internal. Mm-hmm. There's like internal geeky knowledge that this kid knows mm-hmm. that is helping him solve this mystery. Yeah. <laughs> and I didn't feel like that was really translated well to the screen. Mm-hmm. Uh, another book I really liked was Abraham Lincoln Vampire Hunter. Uh-huh. <laughs> <laughs> I honestly thought it was just going to be something fun to read. Yeah. And then halfway through, I was like, damn, like I could on. It was it was like a you had a you had like a easy breezy moment. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe. This book's a little bit better than I was getting <laughs> credit for. <laughs> I kind of had this moment of I don't know if God, it was a <laughs> yeah, if it was um what do you call when we were in Flashpoint and, mm-hmm. and Peter Hawley was talking about Inglorious Bastards, how yeah. he was just afraid that people would go and see this young kids and be like oh this is how hitler died mm-hmm. do you know what i mean was was i don't um, think that's a valid concern i mean whatever <laughs> at the time i would didn't think about it so yeah. i'm like well all right that's kind of interesting take i guess you know um but and uh, whatever that's a better history to have if that's like <laughs> hitler died you I know mean, yeah, like the did. war ended i mean i like to history I, channel argues with you sir however yeah well that's true yeah, yeah. <laughs> Um, I prefer to think, yeah, there's a boys from Brazil. He's just been in, hanging out in Brazil with all the other Nazi war yep, criminals. All of them. Um, I prefer to think Hitler died in a movie theater getting shot in the face <laughs> with the a Tommy gun by the bear too. So. <laughs> Fantastic. You know, live in whatever world. I've, we're allowed to choose facts nowadays. I'm going to use this to my advantage rather than constantly complain about it. So, you know what? In my reality, I'm going to live my truth. And in my truth... Inglorious Bastards is a documentary film. If I ever have kids <laughs> and, and like he or she gets to that point where they're learning about history, I just I hope we're all still around so you can be like, no, it didn't happen that way. Yeah. No, there was this movie made. Interesting story. Nation's <laughs> Pride. <laughs> you might not know this. Yeah. But there's a lot school doesn't teach you. Yeah. So So it might have been Goebbels' finest work uh, <laughs> as a filmmaker. Um, but no, uh, like Abraham Lincoln, vampire hunter. Mm. Uh, I really liked the book, but because it felt like, uh, the author, Seth Gramey Smith, he, uh, really researched like Lincoln American history. Mm. Like that was literally the ground with which he built upon like this, uh, vampire lore. Okay. And it was weaved into, uh, Lincoln's history. So that's awesome. <laughs> it was re- I was really cool. I was really blown away by like how historic it felt 
and and so to watch the movie, the movie felt like what I thought the book was originally going to be. Okay, was just this like the stupid, really big, yeah. dumb like yeah, he's swinging the axe and everything. Whereas by the time I was in the middle of the book reading like reading it like. Yo, were there actually vampires? Because this book is kind of convincing yeah. <laughs> that like the reason for a- ending the Buy Civil it. War yeah. was not because of this. It was because there was like vampire shit happening. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like, and it made sense. Like it was weaved in history so well and so subtly and not in like a big splashy way that mm. it was like, yeah, okay. And it was also his uh like you're reading Lincoln's journal. Okay. Is what yeah. it is. So, you know, it is a you know, a first person account an, of everything. It's an epistolary novel. Yeah. Yeah. So um so that was, you know, that was really good. But I thought, you know, both of those movie adaptions to from those books, you know, they they lost a little something for the sake of uh, being flashy, mm-hmm. I guess. Do you know was what I mean? Was that Timur Bekmambetov? Yes. That did, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, yeah, who would have thought he would err on the side of being flashy? I mean, you know. <laughs> <laughs> did the same thing with Wanted. <laughs> yeah, I guess. Yes, he did. <laughs> no bullets turned in that book at uh-huh. all. Yeah. <laughs> for whatever reason, they did in the movie. <laughs> Um, yeah, the book was about just assassins. Mm. <laughs> That's all it was, you know. Um, and then actually, uh, one that always always cracks me up is um, uh, Dario Argento's first movie, The Bird with the Crystal Plumage, mm-hmm. is based on a book by this guy, Frederick Brown, okay. who is a prominent uh, sci-fi and detective, like, pulp writer. Uh-huh. He wrote a lot of serialized fiction. They, some people call him, like, the master of microfiction. Okay. Because he wrote a lot of short stories for, uh, like, serials. Because uh-huh. um, a lot of genre fiction was only, you know, they wasn't considered like, you know, worthwhile to like publish in book form. So there was a lot of like serialized magazines that yeah. would just publish a lot of these authors. So he wrote tons of short form stuff over many like decades okay. for all, all the periodicals because <laughs> mm-hmm. uh, he was such a known quantity and like he's so good at it. <laughs> um, but I, I like his sci-fi stuff more than I like his um, his crime novels. But uh, he wrote this crime novel called The Screaming Mimi. Okay. Which was used as the source material for uh, Dario Argento's *The Bird with the Crystal Plumage*. Okay, and it was a re- that's a really interesting adaptation as uh-huh. well because again, like Argento is such a visual guy that yeah. like there's no fucking way he's gonna do voiceover, right? You yeah. know, so he's not doing any of that <laughs> shit. And again, like you know, this is a, it's a crime novel. It's not like there's this incredibly complicated psychology to really like you know bring into the fray. Mm-hmm. Uh, here like really like highfalutin kind of uh, concepts or yeah. ambitions to bring you know it's just trying to tell a you know a crackerjack story <laughs> um so you know so it's kind of really good fodder for for what argento did which yeah. you know again like he would infuse a more much more artistic element but if you look at his stories just from like a pulled back perspective it's like eh, it's just about like catch the criminal right you know they're all catch the murderer movies yeah yeah um they're just done with such fucking flair that you're like <laughs> now this is, he's elevated this yeah. you know and um and so, yeah, so that I actually read that book after I saw the movie because I was so intrigued. Okay. I was like, you know, you get it because like Giallo has such a, you know, a through line of um, private detectives mm-hmm. or, you know, people investigating the crime. Right, right. That it, it's a detective novel, but it's usually, at least with Argento, uh, it's it's like an amateur detective character. Yeah. They're not really detectives. It's usually like a writer or a painter who's like an American that's on holiday in Europe. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. And then they get yeah. mixed up in this somehow, and they end up being the ones to, like, look into they it. They figure it out. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so, you know, it, it has, a, like, okay, we've got a private eye character. We've got a crime to solve. Yeah. There's, like, one really obscure clue that, like, you know, ties it all together. Mm-hmm. Um, but there's a really cool twist 
in that book and um, and and movie that I I won't spoil here. Yeah. Um, because people should should watch the movie. It's a great movie and mm-hmm. read the book. It's a really good book. Um, but it's it's really cool the way it's handled differently. That's another why I think this is such a good adaptation. Okay. Um, is it's handled, you know, the, the film handles it in a perfectly cinematic way mm-hmm. and the book handles it in a perfectly literature, literary way. Yeah. Um, and it's just great to see those two things like, you know, played against each other. And really what it comes down to is like, you know, it's, it's about control of information. Yeah. You know, it's like, we're giving you one way or the other, we're giving you just enough that like, sure, you could figure it out, Yeah. but you probably wouldn't. Mm-hmm. And like the book does that in a way where it's sort of like, concealed in the larger investigation or is a seemingly some seemingly innocuous clues that that maybe are red herrings Mm -hmm. actually turn out to be maybe a little more profound than they than they first (laughs) right (laughs) uh seem to be and then in the in the movie it's pretty insane actually because the movie actually puts the plot twist right in front of your face right at the beginning of the movie oh all right i mean it's right there okay it's like you kind of feel like an idiot when you watch the movie for the second time. You're like, oh my god! Yeah, <laughs> like he literally filmed, yeah, the thing, yeah, put hit it in plain sight. Uh-huh. And you know, there were one or two. I think Pauline Kael is really famous uh, film critic. I think she's like the one person, yeah, who has ever who anybody ever believed. Yeah, because she claimed that like she was like I saw it in the f- opening five minutes, okay. and she's like I knew this was what was happening. Yeah, yeah. And I think she was such a perceptive you know, film viewer that everybody else, I think if people claim they're like, Oh no, I saw that, you know, what's going on. Everyone's like bullshit. No, yeah, you right. You're fucking lying. But, um, it's great. It's, but it's brilliant the way he does it because he plays the way he's able to conceal it. So specifically is he kind of, he uses again, a very cinematic element, which is like the just use of color mm-hmm. to psychologically kind of like befuddle you. Okay. And make you think that something's happening in the reverse of the way that it's actually happening. Yeah. And it's just, it's so brilliantly effective. Nice. It's, it's really amazing to watch, actually. It's like a fucking magic trick. Hearing you hearing you talk about Argento with that movie, like, I'm, I'm wondering if... I'm wondering if that's what, like, the second trailer to The Goldfinch is doing. Mm. Is it's, you know, giving me enough information as the viewer to yeah. think that... I actually know what's going on and I've figured it out. Yeah. And I'm just going to watch a rich kid boohoo. Uh-huh. <laughs> his his wonderful, you know, life for 2 hours. Yeah. Excuse me, 2 and a half hours. Ooh boy. Yeah, 2 hours and 29 minutes. All right. We're going from the beginning to the end. Got it. Man, it's almost as long as it chapter 2. It's almost as long as it chapter 2. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but mm. I just wonder if like that's what the trailer's trying to do too. Mhm. It's like I you know, that'd be nice. But this seems like a. <laughs> it seems more like a. Hey, we want to make our money back. I don't so. want you to go like. But no. Yeah. <laughs> yeah just, <laughs> it's yeah. I I don't see that being the case. I, yeah. It seems like again, this is you know just another, in a long line of examples of movies movies where the trailer is just like here's the whole movie. It's just giving it all. Yeah. Away. Yeah. So, it's like a. It's like a Wes Anderson movie without the idiosyncratic approach. Ooh. That's kind of what it looks like. That's a really good summation yeah. of, of this. That's yeah. pretty much where I'm at with That's it. Good. And that fully convinced me that I don't want to <laughs> do this. Yeah. <laughs> so. Well, all right. All right, we're done. Well, if we haven't convinced <laughs> you to uh, go and see Monos next week after this oh, yes. sterling yeah. Monos, <laughs> Monos should be viewed immediately. <laughs> yes. Yeah. And uh, watch the trailer to Monos because it does a really good job, too, of 
not really giving anything not giving it away yeah away, yeah know? no i mean it's got such like startling imagery that that and monos could put together a really really effective images and music trailer yeah it's like really all it needs because like the images and the music are like that good mm-hmm. and then we're here to tell you that like the movie will pay off yes on on that right so yeah go see it uh all right guys both movies come out next week september 13th Woo! you decide or let us decide for you and make the right choice and go see monos yeah go so, see monos yeah, yeah. all right That's guys it. thanks for listening bye